0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln audio podcast. If you would take out your Bibles and turn to Judges chapter 7, and also if you would take out your teaching notes... And uh, after you do that, if everyone could focus on one of the video screens for just a bit of time, um, we're going to watch a short video that I actually shot earlier this week. And when it's all over, I'll explain. I think it'll become pretty obvious what it's all about. So let's watch the video. Good morning, everybody. I want to introduce you to two of my very best friends. In fact, not only are they my best friends, but these are my two favorite grandsons. And I can say that because I only have two grandsons right now. So this is Reed. Reed is four years old. Reed, can you tell everybody hello? Hello. And this is Elias. Elias is two. Lady Elias, can you tell everybody hello? Hi! Way! That's the way to go. Um, uh, so this morning, I have them here because I need their help with something. I have a wheelbarrow. The wheelbarrow is right there, and it's filled with wood. And we need to get it moved from one place to another. And I just needed somebody to help me, so I've asked these two strong young men to do it. Can you guys, can you show everybody your muscles? Yep. Oh, Elias can you? St- oh, look at that. Look how strong they are. You guys are going to... I'm stronger than you. You're even stronger than me? Wow. This is... You guys are going to get that move. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... We're going to get up and we're going to walk over to the wheelbarrow. And when I count to three, you guys are going to move it, okay? Let's walk over to the wheelbarrow. You ready, Elias? Yeah. Two. Okay. Come here, Elias. Elias, you want to help? Come on, hurry back. Hurry back. Okay, help brother. Okay, when I count to three. One, two, three. Oh, push, 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 yeah, push. Yeah, push. Um, push. Um, yeah, well, uh, push no, wait, 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 wait. I, I, think, I, I think it's too heavy for everybody, isn't it? It's just too heavy for you guys. Yeah. So I think you need some help.
1: Yeah, okay. you
0: are too much, and I get too much. Okay, so I'm gonna help you, okay? I think you need poppy power. So when I count to three. We're gonna move it together, okay? Okay. One, two, three. Let's go. Ready? Let's go. Oh, look, that's so cool. Okay, come here, let's celebrate, everybody. Yeah, let's dance, yeah! Yeah. (laughs) Give me high five. Thank you guys for helping Poppy. You'll all see what this means in just a minute. Aren't they so cute? Thankful they could help me this morning. So obviously, Reed and Elias were given a job that is much bigger than they were able to accomplish in themselves. There was no way that those two little guys would be able to take that wheelbarrow filled with wood and move it from one place to the other. They needed the help of someone that was bigger than themselves. And this morning I present that video to you as just a fun way to illustrate something that I think rings true of all of us. We all need the help of someone who is bigger than we are. We cannot accomplish the task, the responsibilities of life alone. We need something bigger. And that bigger is always we need God's help in everything we do. In life, we are going to come across circumstances and situations that will appear to be impossible when we look at it from our natural experience. But when God brings in His power and His provision, the impossible becomes possible. David Platt said it so well. Nothing is impossible for the people of God who trust in the power of God to accomplish the will and the work of God. Do you believe that? Yes, I know you do, even though you were a little weak in that response. Um, uh, And that's exactly what we're going to find as this morning we continue to look deeper into the story of Gideon. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at Judges chapter 7 and we're going to look at 8 verses. But before we do, let's go back and let's just do a little recall. What have we learned about Gideon so far? Well, when we began the series three weeks ago, we learned that Gideon was one of the 15 judges of Israel. In fact, he was deemed to be the greatest judge. So he was one of the 15 judges of Israel. And then... um, Before we looked at his story beginning in chapter 6, in order to get a little context, we went back to say what was going on before Gideon was ever appointed as a judge. And so we looked back in chapters 4 and 5 of Judges and what we found is that the Israelites had been under the cruel oppression of Jabin, a Canaanite king, for 20 years and after a time, they became, they just became fed up with it, and they said, "God, we can't take this anymore. We need your help. Will you deliver us?" And God answered their prayer. God sent them a deliverer. He sent Deborah. Deborah was the fourth. Uh, uh, judge of Israel and she was also a prophetess and under the uh, the leadership of Deborah, Deborah led the Israelites and they um, overcame Jabin, they actually destroyed Jabin and they were relieved they were delivered from the cruel oppression of Jabin and for 40 years they experienced a time of peace and rest and then we come to chapter 6 And in chapter 6, as soon as we begin to look at Gideon's part of the story, what we find is that there is a very destructive problem that the Israelites keep falling victim to. And it's revealed by about 11 words as the chapter starts. Again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. Again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. Again. Again, the Israelites were victims of a vicious, dangerous, uh, destructive, reoccurring cycle that consisted of four phases. And those four phases were commit, it was consume, it was consequence, and it was cry. In other words... The Israelites would commit themselves to God. Oh God, we cry out to you. We commit ourselves to you. We will serve you and you only. We will love you with all of our hearts. And we will not worship any of the foreign gods around us. Our life is committed to you. And then after a time, this commitment became this. And the Israelites began to look inward. And they became consumed By their own passions and their desires. And they became consumed by the passions and the desires of the culture around them. And they began to worship the gods of the foreign cultures around them. And God said, don't do that. You worship me and me only. And so they became disobedient and they began to worship these other gods. And because God is a just God, then there was consequences. They had to suffer the consequences And in this case, for the Israelites in Gideon's story, because they were disobedient and they began to worship the foreign gods around them, God gave them over into the hands of the Midianites and they suffered at the hands of the Midianites. So they were suffering the consequences. But after a time of suffering those consequences, they call out, they cry out to God, God, we can't take this anymore. They were saying, God, if I ever needed you, I need you right now, please deliver us. And this was constant and it was reoccurring in their lives. They may have a period of peace, but they would be commit, consume, consequence, cry. Commit, consume, consequence, cry. And we talked about, uh, when when we looked at this, uh, the fact that how often is this true in our own lives? That we are a people who we walk through this cycle far too often. We commit ourselves to God. God, I love you. I'm going to serve you and you alone. But over time, this becomes this. And we become self-consumed. And we become consumed with our own passions and our own desires. And then we become tempted and lured and, and consumed with the, with the passions of the culture around us. And we begin to worship the gods of the culture rather than the one true God. But because God is a God of justice, we suffer consequences. We suffer consequences. And then we finally cry out to God, God, I can't take this anymore. If I ever needed you, I need you now. That's far too often true in our life. But what we know is our God is a loving, gracious, forgiving God who always has a plan of redemption. He always has a plan of redemption. So for the Israelites, what that meant is that he would send Gideon to be their deliverer. Remember, they're suffering at the hands of the Midianites. The Midianites were a tribe of bullies. They were a tribe of like pirates and at harvest, they would come up unto the, 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 the camps of, of the Israelites and they would uh, ravage their crops and they would, they would kill their livestock and they left them with nothing. But God had a plan of redemption in the midst of that. As they cried out to him, he sent Gideon and he said, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. And go in the strength you have and you will deliver the Israelites from the hands of the Midianites. Gideon, you are the man for the job. And then last week... As we looked at the story of Gideon, we we discovered that Gideon was not uh, immune from the danger of insecurity. The call was clear. God called to Gideon, go in the strength you have and deliver the Israelites from the hands of the Midianites, you mighty warrior. And Gideon's response is one where insecurities begin to creep in. And it's like, God, pardon me, but do you really know who you're talking to? I mean, you know about my family. There's not much there to offer in the way of family. And I'm the weakest link in the family. And, and so Gideon began to look inward. It, it, it is as if he was trying to muster up some kind of self-confidence. And God intervened and had Gideon, instead of looking inward, he redirected him upward. And so when Gideon said, God, I can't, God said, but I will. I will go with you. You will deliver the Israelites from the hand of the Midianites. This is going to happen. Now, before we look to chapter 7... We don't have time to read it today. But let me tell you what happens in the rest of chapter 6. Because last week we just went through 16 verses. So let me tell you what happens in the rest of the chapter. Gideon has heard the call. The call is direct. The call is clear. And, and, and Gideon uh, has responded to the call. And, and he's starting to move in the right direction. But he's not completely there. And so he says, God, I hear you. I know what you called me to do. But could you possibly give me a sign? And God says, okay, yeah. God, and God answers that prayer. He gives him a sign. Gideon uh, determines that he wants to make an offering to the Lord, a, a, a sacrifice of worship. And so he goes and he prepares a goat. He prepares a large amount of unleavened bread cakes and he prepares a pot of broth. And when he brings it out, the angel of the Lord directs him. He says, take that goat, uh, the, the meat of the goat, place it on the rock, place the bread on the rock. And then I want you to just douse that, uh, that offering with the broth. And after he did that, the angel of the Lord touched the rock with the tip of his staff. And immediately the, the offering was consumed by fire. And that was the sign to Gideon that it's, uh, uh, this is going to happen. Everything's going to be okay. You're going to go in the strength you have. And you're going to deliver Israel from the hands uh, uh, of the Midianites. Um, the Lord gives... Gideon some additional instruction he says I want you to go and I want you to destroy the altar of Baal and I want you to cut down the Asherah pole that is beside it and then I want you to build a new a right kind of Uh, Altar, And I want you to make a right sacrifice on that altar. So Gideon did what he was told. But he went at night because he knew this was going to stir something up in the community among the family and friends. So he goes at night. He takes 10 of his men with him. And they tear down Baal's altar. They cut down the Asherah's pole. They build a, a, a new altar. And they make a sacrifice on it using the wood from the Asherah pole. The next morning... When everybody begins to go about their day, they can look up on the hill where Baal's altar was and they go, something's not right. Something's different up there. And they recognize that the altar of Baal and the Asherah pole were gone. And so they begin to do some detective work. And as they're looking around, they found out that it was Gideon who did it. So they go to Gideon's father, Joash, and and there's this conflict that's rising. And, And Joash's response is, Bel, if Baal's a god, he's a big god. He can fight for himself. And so he brings peace. He, he calms the, the conflict down. After this, the Midianites begin to gather their troops, muster up the troops for battle. And they bring together 135,000 men to fight. And while this is happening, the Holy Spirit prompts Gideon. And so Gideon begins to gather his troops. And he, he brings together um, 32,000 fighting men. And in the midst of all of that, guess who makes a guest appearance again? Insecurity. Insecurity shows up and Gideon begins to have some doubt. And so he says, um, God, I know you gave me that sign back there. The, 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 the offering on the altar was consumed by fire. But I just want to make sure. I, I just want to make sure I got all this straight and that you're really going to go with me. So I, I got a proposition, God. I, I, I'd like another sign, if you would. And don't, I hope you don't get upset for me asking. But here's what I'm thinking. I've come up with a plan. Uh, Before I go to bed tonight, what if I put a wool fleece out on the ground? And then I'll go to sleep. And in the morning, I'll know that you're going to be with me if the fleece is wet and the ground is dry. So he, he puts the fleece out. He goes to bed. He wakes up the next morning. And sure enough, he's able to wring water out of the fleece. Thank you, God. That's the sign I was looking for. Uh... Don't, don't get mad at me for asking this, but I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about this, but is it possible? Could you just give me one more sign? Just one more sign. He says, here's what I'm thinking. Tonight, kind of like last night, before I go to bed, I'll put the fleece out. I'll go to sleep. And how about in the morning when I wake up that the fleece will be dry and the ground will be wet? And sure enough, he puts the fleece out. The next morning he uh, wakes up and the fleece is dry and the ground is all wet he, he has the sign that he's been looking for and so now we pick up in chapter 7 so I want you to follow along as I read you 8 verses it says early in the morning Jerobel that is Gideon and all of his men camped at the spring of Herod the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Mora." The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I can't deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me, saying, My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one will go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that I, that lapped, I will save you and the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Isn't the Bible amazing? I mean, that's an incredible story filled with all kind of twists and turns. So here's Gideon. He's heard the call. He's gathered 32,000 men to fight in this battle. I can imagine him walking through the troops. 32,000 people have gathered, 32,000 men. And he's walking through the troops and he's, he's giving strategy strategy. for battle. And he's casting vision for battle. And and he's speaking encouraging words. High five. Guys, we got this. God's with us. We're going to go in the strength that comes from God. Let's celebrate God. And the guys are chanting and they're saying, got it, got it, got it, got it. And suddenly Gideon hears a voice. And it's God's voice. And I imagine if I were Gideon, you wouldn't be able to believe what you're hearing say what god Did, am i hearing you right too many men god i'm concerned if i have enough men i, I don't know if you remember, they have 135,000 men to fight to my 32,000 and now you're saying that we don't have a, enough men well, we have too many men god can you explain and, and, and God's response is, I, I, Gideon, I, I, know, I know Israel all too well. And I know that if I send you into battle with 32,000 men, that when you win the battle, they will pridefully boast, look what we did in our power in our strength. And they will fail to give credit to me who brought the victory because it's my power and it's, and it's my strength. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull the men together and I want you to give them an out. And so Gideon pulls all the men together. God's told him what to do. And I could see he's, he's got all the, it took a lot to just get the 32,000 together in and, and, and a loud voice. He says, attention men, men, can I have your attention? I have a really important announcement to make right now. I, I want to thank you all for being willing to go and fight this battle I commend you on that, but I also recognize that there may be some of you who are anxious and you are afraid and you've even questioned if you'll come home alive from the battle. And so at God's direction, here's what I want to tell you today. If you are fearful, if you have anxiety, if you've been doubting whether you should be fighting this battle or not, right now, with no questions asked, you can go home. You are free to go. And I can imagine Gideon thinking, surely there'll be a handful that'll go. But suddenly he begins to watch an exodus of 22,000 men. 22,000 men are saying, I'm afraid. I don't, I'm not afraid to admit it. I, I, I want to live. So if he's saying I can go home and there's no question, there's no, uh, no condemnation, I would just say, guys, I love you. I'm thinking about you, but I just got to get out of jail free card and I'm going home to mama. I'm going to go home to the kids. And so he watches 22,000 men. So he starts with an army of 32,000. Now 22,000 is left. He's down to an army of 10,000 men. And as he's thinking through that, he's probably trying to re strategize now. He hears God speak again. And once again, it's like, what? Am I hearing you right? You think I still have too many men? How can that be? God, they've got 135,000 men. And you're calling me to fight with now less than 10,000. God, that's right. That's right. I, I'm going to thin the army out for you. So here's what I want you to do I want you to take the men down to the spring and I want you to invite them to drink. And when they get there, here's what I want you to know I'm going to thin out your army. And the ones that I say go, they go. But if I say they don't go, they don't go. So Gideon and the 10,000 men begin to make their way down to the spring. And 9,700 men get down on their knees and they drink directly from the spring. And there's another 300 men who take uh, they kneel down. They take water in the cup of their hands and they begin to lap it like a dog. And God says... Those 300 that drank like a dog, those are your men. That's your army. Don't you think Gideon was thinking, could you not give me the 9,700? Why just the 300? And God said, those are your men. Those are who you're going to take in the battle. And he gives a final word of assurance. With these 300 men, I will save you and I will give you the Midianites. See, God's always true to his promise. And God, when God says there's victory, because we have victory through Jesus Christ, there is victory. God never goes back on that. We can always trust that God's going to do what he says and that God's working a plan even when that plan does not make logical sense to us. Even in the seemingly impossible, God is able to do what we can't even imagine, begin to imagine that he would do. And that's what he did here. And I don't have time to read the rest of the story to you, but I would encourage you, please read it at home. Because here's what happens. Gideon takes the 300 men into battle against the 135,000 men. And guess who wins? The Israelites win with 300 men. Because God is bigger. God is bigger. So let me ask, what does Gideon's story tell us about the power of God? There's three things that I'll tell you. First, I think it's very obvious. God is able to take a little and make it more than enough. God is able to take a little and make it much more than enough. God is bigger than the little bit that we have to offer. And God is bigger than the whole lot that we have to offer. And in our seemingly impossible situations, it's not about what we have, but it's about who we trust. We don't trust in ourselves. We don't trust in the troops around us, whatever that might be. But we put our trust in God and not ourselves. We trust in him alone because God is able to take just a little bit and make it more than enough. The second thing, um, God is able to take 450 to one odds and make it turn into victory. Think about this. 135,000 Midianites... 300 Israelites. That means to every one Israelite soldier, there were 450 soldiers that were able to fight against that one. And who won? The Israelites won. God was able to take the odds that were stacked against them and turn it into victory. And there will be times in our lives where it's going to seem like All the odds are stacked against us. And we can't move forward. We can't get a break. We just can't make it happen. And guess what? We can't make it happen. But God, in that seemingly impossible situation, can take the odds that are stacked against us and make the impossible possible. He does it every single time. Finally, um, God is able to work through our weakness for his glory god stripped down gideon's army from 32,000 to 300 so that he could work the plan that he had set forth oftentimes in our lives in our seemingly impossible situations god will it will at least feel like god is stripping us down to nothing so that We can become obedient in our weakness. He can work out the plan that he set in motion. You see, it's really easy for us to take credit. And when we're stripped down, we can't take credit, but we have to realize that God is bigger. So let me ask this. How do we position ourselves to experience God's power in our seemingly impossible situations? Well, it begins by putting our trust and our confidence in God's ability and not our own. Um, it's, again, it's very easy for us to take credit for something that's not ours to take credit for. If we're going to boast in anything, then our boast must be that our confidence and our confidence comes through Jesus Christ. In Second Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, it says, Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our confidence comes from God. It's not about how much we can muster up. It's not about self-confidence, but it's about relying on God because through Jesus Christ, I can do all things. That's where our confidence comes from. The second thing, God doesn't need our ability. He needs our obedience. Can you imagine what Gideon must have been facing when he has to stand before the 32,000 men to say, if any of you are afraid, you can go home because he doesn't really know what the outcome is going to be. He might hope that it's going to be just a few men, but he could have been the whole army. And so what logically didn't make sense that he would dismiss part of his army, it didn't logically make sense. It was necessary for him to be obedient so that God could work out the plan of victory that he had set in motion. And finally, we position ourselves to experience God's power uh, in our impossible, seemingly impossible situations when we recognize that worship opens the way for the work of God. We stopped at verse 8, but I want to read you uh, just a few more verses beginning in verse 13. Um, on in the story, Gideon goes down into the Mid- uh, Midianite camp and he, uh, he spies. And uh, in picking up in verse 13, it says, Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and he worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. So God gave Gideon a sign that he didn't even actually ask for. He was able to overhear this dream and the interpretation of the dream. And when he heard, he had such assurance that God was going to do what he said he was going to do that he bowed down and he worshiped. And then he went back with great faith and he proclaimed to the troops, Get up, guys. This is it. God is going to give the Midianites into our hands. Worship was preparatory in the victory. And the same is true for us. We have to live a lifestyle of worship. It's not just about on Sunday morning when we come together for 20 to 25 minutes of singing together and worshiping together. But it's daily, that it's how we live out our life, that every day our lives are filled with gratitude to the greatness of God and that we find ourselves bowing down and worshiping because of who He is and what He's continually doing in our lives. And as we do that, it prepares the way so that um, our focus is no longer on ourselves or our impossible situation, but our focus is on God, the God who is bigger. And this is how we're called live our lives Gideon's story is incredible it's incredible and I would encourage you just read through it let the Holy Spirit speak to you about it but what we know is God is bigger in every situation that we will ever encounter would you stand I want to pray for us God thank you thank you for your word thank you for the power of your word truly it is alive it's active it's living water it's fresh water to our spirit to our souls Father God we thank you for the story of Gideon because just as the principles applied to Gideon and his men the Israelites those same principles apply to us today What we know is that you are bigger than any situation that might arise that seems impossible. You are able, you are bigger, and you are always working. I pray that that could be cemented into our hearts, into our spirit, and we would be a people who walk in such great faith that when it seems like the odds are stacked against us, we don't become afraid. We're not anxious, but we simply say, God, I trust you. And I'm going to act in obedience even if it doesn't make logical sense. Because spiritually, I know you are working in this situation. I pray that that would be the way that we live our lives. So today, we present ourselves to you. We offer ourselves to you. And we ask that you do that work in us. Do that work in us by your Holy Spirit, I pray. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.